we'll get started. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, as Cody reminded us this morning, thank you for your Holy Spirit who takes all of these things, uh, who was the uh, divine author of all these things, uh, who takes them and applies them to our minds and to our hearts and uses uh, his own power with your word to transform us. Uh, Would you please give us ears to hear as well as eyes to see tonight, please? And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. Leviticus, the book of holiness. I had a chance to grade your quizzes from last week. Some of you have some work to do. Exodus chapter 40, big chapter. What happens? God comes to dwell with his people. You have a big question on your mind. How do I approach this holy God? Answer, through sacrifices, through a holy priesthood, and through or by avoiding defilement. So that's how these first chapters of Leviticus break up. Through sacrifices, by at the at the hands of a priest, and then avoiding defilement. How do I approach this holy God? This is how I've got to do it. This is what God specifies for us to follow, or for uh, His people then to follow. So I have holiness on here. Um, Let's talk just for a second again about holiness. What is holiness? Holy means that which is set apart, marked off, or different than the rest. Particularly, it's set apart for God. Multiple times in 8 through 10, you read some oil or something made their clothes holy or the utensils holy or the priests holy, and there's all this talk of being holy. What's happening? It's you are being set apart for God and for His use. Christians today are declared to be holy. Declared. Um, Have we talked about this before? I don't think we have. Three great imputations in the Bible. Did we talk about this? We did before. We'll talk about it again. Three. Remember, I saw your quizzes. Some of you need some help. First great imputation is the sin of uh, Adam to mankind. God just declares it. He says, this is the way it works. And so he imputed all of the sin of mankind, uh, all of of Adam's sin, into mankind. So now every person born is born a sinner. First imputation. Second great imputation is the sin of the world to Christ. On the cross, he imputed the sin of the world to Christ. Third great imputation, he imputed the righteousness of Christ to everyone who believes. So first, the sin of mankind, first great imputation. Second imputation, the sin of the world to Christ. Third imputation is the righteousness of Christ to the believer. 
in any of these things did you earn it? No. God imputed it. He reckoned it. He counted it. Accounting kind of language. He's counted it in your ledger. And you said, wait, all I did was be born. Congratulations. (laughs) You're born fallen. You know what a baby would do to you if they had the strength of a person, of a grown person? (laughs) Give me the bottle. (laughs) They would come after you. They're fallen. Okay. Wow. We're coming back. We're coming back. We are declared to be holy. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Cody read that one this morning, I think, or maybe not. Um, That talks about vessels being set aside for God, holy vessels, which is what we're declared to be, is holy vessels for the Lord. However, we are also to become holy, which is the ongoing process of sanctification. So we are not only declared to be holy, but we are to become holy. As I was trying to illustrate the time before, but I got prince instead of king. King Charles, when he was born, was born a prince, but he's born to become a king. Now that he's a king, he has to begin acting that out, right? But he's, he was declared by his birth to be in line of a king. When he became the king, now he has to live that way live as a king. And his whole life has been um, programmed for him to live out the life of a king. So we are declared to be holy by God, but we are also to become holy, which is the ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. You can read about that in Hebrews 10, 14. That means we are increasingly set apart, marked off, different, or other, particularly from non-believers, from those who do not follow Christ. I gave you a chart or showed you a chart the time before, or several times before, on the, okay, so on the left, this is the past. This is what Jonathan talked about uh, last week. At salvation, what was dealt with, with with respect to sin was its penalty. And we are positionally, according to holiness, we are positionally set apart. Go all the way over here. The future. This is the state known as glorification. This is coming from Romans 8. In glorification... The presence, hallelujah, the presence of sin is gone. So the penalty was taken care of on that day when I trusted Christ. Its presence will be eliminated from my life entirely, completely at glorification when I meet Christ. That's called ultimate holiness or that's ultimately where we're all going, the state will all be in. In between, when you trusted Christ and when you meet Jesus, there is the present. That's the issue of sanctification. That is your ongoing process of becoming more and more, or progressively, holy. What we're dealing with is not the penalty of sin. That has already been dealt with. What we're dealing with is the power of sin. 
That's what Cody was talking about today. Point number two. If you recall the message this morning, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, it was fabulous. Listen to it. Speaking of fabulous, Jim, you and the rest of the choir, who else is here from the choir? Anyone else from the choir? Yes, thank you. Unbelievable. You alone? Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Thank you for doing that. It must have taken just a little bit of practice for you guys to get that right. Thank you for doing that. What we're dealing with progressively is called, of the progressive, progressive holiness, if you will, is the sanctification. That's what that's called. So, that's what holiness is. In the Old Testament, I, how would I have become progressively holy? I had a big problem. I had to keep offering sacrifices. What are sacrifices doing? Dealing with the penalty. I never got free of the penalty. I had to keep going back and back and back and back and back. It took a perfect sacrifice once for all to take care of the penalty. And now, progressively, I can become, I, I can become toward the holiness that I've positionally already been declared to become. Does that make sense? No, I just lost you. I've been told, I've been declared holy this much, but I'm still way back here. And so every day, hopefully, in the power of the Spirit, I'm taking little tiny baby steps. I'll never reach this place. This is what I reach in glorification. But every day, hopefully, I'm taking little tiny steps in that direction. Does that make sense? Good. Thank you. Thank you. Like, honey, get some coffee going here. because I. Here's the big idea for tonight. Those closest to God should most clearly reflect God. Those closest to God should most clearly reflect God. I was thinking one time, this was several years ago when I was teaching this, about, um, because you know in chapter 8, we've already gone through it before, but the priests wore a uniform. And some of you, like me, have asked, how did they clean those uniforms? I don't know. <laughs> we aren't told. <laughs> so if you'd like to research that and write a paper, I would love to read it. Uh, I don't know how they got them clean, but none, uh, be that as it may, their uniform, uh, I mean, their, uh, their outfit was like a uniform. So I thought, okay, I wonder if in the military, what does a uniform mean? Does it mean anything? And so there was a... Um, a wonderful young man who was in the military, in the army, a number of years ago. And so he, when I said that, he wrote me a long email, and I just want to read you a couple of parts about it. Uh, he said, when you, when you enter the army, before basic training, you spend one to two weeks in a group called the 30th AG. This is where you're placed to finish paperwork for health care, life insurance, medical checks and immunizations, and to be issued uniforms and gear. 
These are your ACUs, Army Combat Uniform, or Battle Fatigues. And while there is pride in this uniform, it's not the same as your ASU, or Army Service Uniform. You receive your ASUs at the end of your basic training when you actually become a soldier and are only allowed to don them in order to march the graduation field. This is the uniform that you are to take pride in because of what it represents. Oh, key. Because of what it represents. Prior to being able to dress for graduation, however, Every soldier is given a serious speech from his drill sergeant. It goes something like this. Privates, and I think he managed to take out most of the naughty language, so, yeah. Privates, when you put this uniform on, you are representing something larger than yourselves. No one cares who you are anymore. No one cares what your name is. When you do something stupid or irresponsible or contrary to the army values, no one will report your name. The headline will only read, American soldier charged with war crimes or treason or dereliction of duty or even DUI. No one will remember that you did something just that an American soldier did. If that's what it means to wear the uniform of the United States military, how much more <laughs> what these guys are getting dressed up in. They are representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the God of Heaven who is now dwelling in the tabernacle. If I'm one of those priests, there's probably some pride that's going on with putting this thing on, but I bet you there's a healthy dose of fear putting these garments on because it marked them off as people who were closest to God and therefore needed to reflect God the best. So let's take a look at this. Chapter 8, who were the priests? Originally all Israel, but now only from the tribe of Levi. We had this little issue with this thing called a golden calf. <laughs> kind of kicked some tribes out of the club. <laughs> Who was left? Levi. So now all of the priests come from the tribe of Levi. The high priest had to be a descendant of Aaron. So not only a Levite, but he had to come from, be a descendant of Aaron. The rest of the, ready for this, the rest of the non-Aaronic Levites were non-priest ministry assistants. I've made a handy little chart. The tribe of Levi is where the priests come from. Not all of Israel, just the tribe of Levi. Then there's the family of Aaron. Who's in the family of Aaron? That's where the priests are. And the high priest had to be a direct descendant of him. Not a cousin, not an uncle, not a, had to be a direct descendant. Aaron. That's where the priests come from. Well, then what are the rest of the Levites? Because not all of the Levites were Aaron, right? The Levites were this whole tribe. Aaron was one guy in the midst of that tribe. So what were the rest of them? Well, they are non-priest assistants. 
And we're going to find that they're going to carry some tabernacle stuff later on. They're going to help out, but they're not priests. So all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Okay, next quiz. Write it down. Yeah, you can repeat, you can replicate this little diagram too if you want. Hopefully that helps you. The priests were not only to teach the people holiness, but to model it. Leviticus 10.3, which I get, we're going to cover in just a couple minutes. Um, Nadab and Abihu, jumping ahead a little bit, but Nadab and Abihu have been killed. And then verse 3, then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. The priests were not only to teach, but they were to model and reflect God's holiness to all the people. They kind of had three responsibilities. Chapter 8, to live a set-apart life. Chapter 9, to help people draw near to God and worship. And then chapter 10, to model how to respond well to God's discipline. So these are really the three big areas that are addressed in Leviticus 8 and 9 and 10. 1 through 7, sacrifices, 8, 9, and 10. The priests, because how do I approach God? Sacrifices, a priesthood, and then next time we'll talk about avoiding defilement. You don't want to be defiled if you're going to approach God. So he's talked about sacrifices. Now we're going to talk about the priests. The priests are to live a set-apart life, help people draw near to God and worship and model how to respond well to God's discipline. Uh, therefore, their lifestyle is going to have to be commensurate with their role. Bottom line. God sets them apart for himself. He sets the priests apart. Chapter 8 begins, Then the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons along with their sacred garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket of bread made without yeast, and call the entire community of Israel together at the entrance of the tabernacle. So verse 4, Moses followed the Lord's instructions, and he gathers everybody there. He begins by saying, this is what the Lord has commanded us to do. Verse 6, he presents Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. Then he clothes them, and he puts on uh, their different garments. Uh, he places the turban on Aaron's head and attaches the gold medallion, the badge of holiness, to the front of the turban, just as the Lord had commanded him. Then he takes, he takes the oil and he does that, and he does these different sacrifices uh, for them to get them ready to serve the Lord. So they're washed, they're given special clothes, they're anointed with oil, they're empowered and commissioned. Uh, there's some discussion as to what does the blood on the ear, the thumb, and the big toe, what does that mean? But it likely means this, that they're the right ear, okay? So I'd have got some blood on my right ear, 
that I would always hear the word of the Lord. Right thumb, that I'm always eager to do the work of the Lord. And big toe, that I'm always walking in the way of the Lord. Which makes a lot of sense to me. Ear, thumb, and big toe. So I'm empowered and I'm commissioned. Verse 30, Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar, and he sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. In this way, he made Aaron and his sons and their garments holy. Were they holy? Yes, afterward. Were they one minute before? No. God made them holy. He declared them to be holy with the sprinkling of these things. Kind of interesting. Have you ever thought about us? You were washed. It says you're washed regeneration. You were washed when you trusted Christ. You were clothed. Who gave you the robe? It's a Jesus robe. It's white. That's why when we show up later on, we got white robes on. Where do we get them? From him. We're clothed. We're washed. We're clothed. Are we anointed? Yes. With what? Or with whom? The Holy Spirit. Are we empowered and commissioned? Yes. Beyond anything these guys were. Ah, this is great stuff. Are we sanctified and set apart for God? The right answer is yes. All these things they're going through, this is like a shadow of what God is going to do later in the New Testament through Christ and in us. Everything that happened to them in, um, in picture has happened to us. Oh, gosh, so good. And the best part is, verse 36 of chapter 8, they do all these things. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord had commanded through Moses. So they fully obey. So far, the blood on the ear is working, the blood on the thumb and the blood on the toe. They've fully obeyed God's word. They've done everything that God has asked them to do. Now, I want you to think for just a second. One minute before... um, Verse 30. Okay, verse 30 is where the anointing oil and blood get sprinkled on me, and I'm declared holy. So I'm one minute before that. Now, tick, that minute goes off. I'm sprinkled. And one minute later, I am no longer who I was. I am different. How am I different? I have now been declared holy, set apart unto God and for his service. I am no longer who I was. Does this make sense? Don't start thinking about that for you today. Because it could also be very true. You're no longer who you were. Think about it. You're no longer who you were. You're no longer who you're going to, uh, you're not yet who you're going to be, but you're no longer who you were. Oh, gosh. 
That is a great thought you should meditate on for a long time tomorrow. They fully obey God's word. So God sets them apart for himself. In all Israel, priests were given the privilege of being some of those who were closest to God. Is that amazing? You get this shaken stuff going on, and then you're declared holy. You're no longer who you were, and now God says, you are allowed to serve me and serve my people. And I've laid out for you how I want that done, how, how I want you to approach me. And by the way, we'll have a meal together every once in a while. A priest was set apart by God to serve and represent him in his presence. His life was to be surrendered to God and to the authority of his word. And who he represented and what he did put boundaries on his lifestyle and conduct. Just like my friend wrote about the American military uniform. When you have that uniform on, it puts boundaries on what you should be doing because of who you represent. Imagine these priests decked out in these clothes. They're holy. There are boundaries now put up on what they should be doing and should not be doing because of who they represent. So they begin to minister. Chapter 9, this is, it's all been leading up to this. Moses has got everything ready here. And so the first part of chapter 9, they begin their work. Uh, after the ordination ceremony, because they had to sit in front of the tabernacle for seven days, on the eighth day, Moses called together Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he tells them, basically, do the same sacrifices you did in the first, uh, at the first of the week, do it at the, second, uh, do it at the end of the week. And he says, present all these offerings to the Lord, because the Lord will appear to you today. I'm probably going to make sure I doubly know how to do these things. The Lord is going to show up. So the people present all the things at the entrance of the tabernacle, just as Moses commanded. The whole community came forward and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. And so then he calls to Aaron. And so Aaron offers sacrifices for himself. The next thing he does is he offers sacrifices for Israel. So he presents um, the sin offering, the burnt offering for himself. Then he goes through the offerings for the people. Verse 22, after that, Aaron raised his hands toward the people and blessed them. Then after presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering, he stepped down from the altar. Then Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle, and when they came back out, they blessed the people again, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell face down on the ground." What a sight. 
So Aaron finishes the sacrifices. He blesses the people. The first time, he blesses them on the basis of sacrifice. Numbers chapter 6. We'll get there. We're not quite to Numbers yet, but verse 24 of chapter 6. This is part of the priestly blessing. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. So that blessing that you're familiar with or some of you have heard comes from this. This is the priestly blessing that Aaron would have after he finished the sacrifice. This is the blessing he would have given to the people. But also, he and Moses go into the tabernacle. What are they doing in there? Likely interceding for the people. And so Aaron comes back out. Moses and Aaron come back out. But Aaron comes back out, uh, and the, they bless the people again, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Whew. God's glory appears to the people. The people worship with joy and awe. Whew. I'm probably pretty glad if I'm a priest that the fire from the Lord consumed the sacrifices and not the people. The fire came out and whoosh, took care of every sacrifice that was on the altar. Didn't touch the people. What do the people do? Oh! And they fall on their face and worship. Who is the Lord looking for today? Those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And spirit is not big S. Spirit is little s. Hmm. What does that mean? If it doesn't mean Holy Spirit, worship Him in spirit and in truth. You go, what does spirit mean? Ra, ra. <laughs> Yay, God. <laughs> spirit. You've been to a pep rally, right? There's a lot of spirit that happens. A lot of joy, a lot of enthusiasm. Yes, I get to worship the Lord. But he wants to be worshiped also in truth. It's not just, ah. he wants spirit, little s, and truth. Such are the ones the Father is seeking, says the Lord. The people worship with joy and awe. They are worshiping in spirit and in truth. And what do they do when they, when they catch a glimpse of the Lord? They worship. They worship. Mm. Good stuff. Again, you may have to think about this for a little while, but think about it. It's worth meditating on. Uh, the, the people have, the priests have done their job. One of their jobs is to help people worship, Right? What have they just done? Worshiped. Yay, priests. <laughs> Good job. You did it. The people came. They saw God. They caught a glimpse of Him. And they fell on their face and worshiped Him. So the priests, everything begins on a great high note here. 
So a priest was to help God's people deal with their sins, and so had to be cleansed first. All those sacrifices, chapter 1 through 7, how could a priest help with your sins if he hadn't taken care of his sins? Therefore, the first thing the priest does is he takes care of his sins first through a sacrifice, and that puts him then in position to be able to minister to the people. So the priest was to help God's people deal with their sins, so he had to be cleansed first. And these priests are really well cleansed. They're washed, they're clothed, they're anointed, they're set apart. These priests are ready to go. A priest was to help God's people draw closer to him through the sin offering, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering, etc., all those different sacrifices we looked at last week. The priest is the one who's uh, presenting these things. And finally, a priest was to help the people see God for who He really is, holy, for then they will truly worship with joy and awe. So the priests have done a great job through chapter 9. But two priests dishonor God. They were set apart on the outside, but not on the inside. Nadab and Abihu were on Mount Sinai. Remember I pointed that out when we went through Exodus? Out of the 70 people, Nadab and Abihu are up there having a meal with God. Up on Mount Sinai. Makes me think these aren't um, children. Okay? Nadab and Abihu, the point of that is you could say, maybe a child didn't know what he was doing. You know, maybe he just made a little mistake here. What's coming up? Nope. Not so. These were grown men. Now, I don't know how old they were, but they were over the age of 20. And so over the age of 20, you could enter the priesthood. And so they're up on Mount Sinai with uh, Moses and Aaron and having a fellowship meal with God. They were Aaron's sons and had been trained in the Lord's service, Leviticus 8 and 9, which we just covered. Aaron's sons, chapter 10, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before Him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up. What had the Lord's presence just burned up? Sacrifices and not the people. Mm. What did the Lord just burn up? (laughs) Two people. You wonder why they, you know, the, the, the idea that they tied a rope on the priest when he went in there? Well, where do you think they got that idea? Uh-oh. 
man, when the, if you step out of line here with God, mm, he, he's not, um, he's told you what's expected. They've been trained in the Lord's service. They were the wrong people. Exodus chapter 30 tells us who the right person was. It was the high priest. They used the wrong censer. There was only one. They offered it at the wrong time. Leviticus 16, when we get there, is the Day of Atonement. The only time the high priest would have taken the censer back into that part, uh, it would have been um, at a time associated with the Day of Atonement. So they're going in at the, they're just, well, let's go in tomorrow. I kind of wonder what's behind the curtain anyway. They acted under the wrong authority, meaning their own. They used the wrong fire, and they acted under the wrong influence. How do I know that? Perhaps verse 9 is put where it's put to help us understand what these men did. Verse 8 of chapter 10, then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your descendants must never drink wine or any other alcoholic drink before going into the tabernacle. If you do, you will die. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation. Kind of a curious little statement to be thrown into here, unless this is why Nadab and Abihu did what they did, is perhaps... They got drunk on wine and decided to <laughs> go on a little field trip into the tabernacle. And they met God, who was not particularly happy <laughs> with their visit. And you say, wow, I mean, this is a holy and awesome God. You don't mess around with His holiness. He doesn't mess around with His holiness. Curious. God is doing something different with His people, right? They've been in Egypt. Now He's trying to teach them to follow Him, right? Can you think of anywhere else, like let's say in the New Testament, where God begins something different called the church, and Ananias and Sapphira come and misrepresent Right? They could have given whatever they wanted to give, but they misrepresented the part as if it were the whole. Poof! Gone. God saying, I'm not messing around with this stuff. I am a holy God, and you need to fear me and revere me. I'm not just here to play around. So he makes a lesson out of these two men as he made a lesson out of Ananias and Sapphira later on in the New Testament. Um, Laurie finds these paintings. Um, this is, how do you pronounce his last name? Tissot? Tissot. And he's done, a, he's done a painting like of every scene or something like that or every story in the Old Testament. I mean, he's a phenomenal body of work. Um, so, I love the painting. I just don't think, the, I think the boys are not boys. This looks like they're 12 years old. I, I don't think that's what's happening here at all. Um, so, don't think that he's whacking 12-year-olds. That's not what's happening. 
Uh, but here is uh, Tissot's version of what's happening. And then the, uh, the cousins or somebody come and drag it, says it drags them out by their clothes. I'm not sure they would have carried them, but in any event. Um, this, is a, this is a harsh, harsh lesson uh, for the, this early group following God. So two priests, right? Then Aaron, the end of verse 3, Aaron was silent after Moses said, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. Can you imagine this? As a father? This is not a made-up person. This is a real person. And these, his two sons, two of the four, this is a real deal. Aaron was silent. So then Moses calls Mishael and Elzaphan, and he says, take them away by their garments. That's how they carried them away. And then Moses gives further instructions to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar. And he says, don't show grief by leaving your hair uncombed or by tearing your clothes. If you do, you will die. <laughs> wow! <laughs> And the Lord's anger will strike the whole community of Israel. However, the rest of the Israelites, your relatives, may mourn because of the Lord's fiery destruction of Nadab and Abihu. But you must not leave the entrance of the tabernacle or you will die, for you have been anointed with the Lord's anointing oil. So they did as Moses commanded. Aaron is silent. They go on in verse 8, the Lord said to Aaron, uh, that's where the, the admonition, the warning to not uh, drink before he goes in to do their work. Again, for same reasons as Cody mentioned this morning, if you do, you will die. This is a permanent law for you, observe. You must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common, between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean. And you must teach the Israelites all the decrees that the Lord has given them through Moses. You, you can't be under the influence of something else. You don't want to make a mistake, Aaron. My business is not anything other than the most serious of businesses. Then Moses says, he starts talking to him about this offering. And he says, you know, eat it and do this and do this. And then verse 16, Moses then asked them what had happened to the goat of the sin offering. When he discovered it had been burned up, he became very angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's remaining sons. Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sacred area, he demanded. It's a holy offering. The Lord has given it to you to remove the guilt of the community and to purify the people, making them right with the Lord. Since the animal's blood was not brought into the holy place, you should have eaten the meat in the sacred area as I ordered you. Then Aaron answered Moses, Today my sons presented both their sin offering and their burnt offering to the Lord, and yet this tragedy has happened to me. If I had eaten the people's sin offering on such a tragic day as this, 
Would the Lord have been pleased? And when Moses heard this, he was satisfied. Glad you completely understand that after reading it. I don't. So I had to poke around a little bit and try to figure out, okay, Moses, um, Aaron has got to be grieving. What is going on here? Point number one, Aaron was to show no dissatisfaction with God's discipline because it was just. What God did was just and right. It wasn't whimsical or capricious or anything else. Aaron fasted instead of eating the sin offering without a clear conscience or while in mourning. In Deuteronomy 26, we're told that they weren't supposed to do, do the eating part when they were in mourning. So one of these two things is true. Either Aaron, for some reason, doesn't have a clear conscience because his kids made their sin offering and their burnt offering, and yet this tragedy still occurred. So he, he doesn't, his conscience isn't clear, or he's in mourning. I kind of lean to that one. He's in mourning, and he knows, I'm not going to eat this. This would be hypocritical of me to, to eat this, because the Lord's judgment is right. Wow. Nadab and Abbey, whose disobedience dishonored God's holiness and failed to reflect him. They paid a steep price, and so did Aaron. Let's do a little summary. The Old Testament priests received great privileges. They had a position of closeness and intimacy with the Lord. Theirs was an opportunity to serve and represent Him and a ministry of helping people draw near to God. Great privilege, but also great warning against serving God in any way that seemed right to them instead of according to God's Word. And that such a heart attitude dishonors God's holiness and will incur consequences. He is teaching these priests how to approach Him. It's not just any way you want. You come the way I tell you. And if you don't, there will be consequences. But I've provided for you in how to come. Great privileges, stern, a stern warning. Those closest to God should most clearly reflect God. Let's look at some New Testament verses. You excited to do that? Come on. 1 Corinthians 6. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or the abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I love verse 11. Some of you were once like that. 
but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. New Testament priests, somewhere we were in this roll call of faith. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Peter, speaking to Christians, says, And you, Christians, are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. What's more... You are His holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. This is not Bill's interpretation. I just read it. We are priests whom God has called into His service. Revelation 1, 5 through 6. Revelation 1, 5 and 6. Well, I'm going to read a little bit before that. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding His blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God His Father. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. Just some verses that we, my brothers and sisters, are priests. We are a kingdom of priests. A royal priesthood. They were also a royal priesthood, but in a little bit different sense. We are the royal priesthood. If that needs to sink in, you're a royal priesthood. Not because I say so, that's what the Bible says. You're a royal priesthood. If that's the case, then those closest to God should most clearly reflect God. We have great privilege and great responsibility. A couple of my profs said a couple of different things here. First, those set aside for service to the holy God must sanctify the Lord before the people by how they conduct themselves in ministry. And you say, well, he's talking to you, Cody. He's talking to you, Bill. (laughs) He's talking to us. God is more gracious with those who fear him and make mistakes than he is with those who do not fear him as they should. We today are God's priests. 
you and I occupy one of the most privileged places and have one of the most privileged roles in the entirety of heaven and earth. I've read you before from Ephesians, the angels long to look into these things. Can you... (laughs) That really just needs... Those are the things that need to sink in deeply to us. In closeness and intimate fellowship with the Lord. No angel is His heir. He has no angels as heirs. Who does He have? Us. We are His heirs. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. Closeness and intimate… What angel would dare call Him Abba, Father? Not one. What's the privilege we have been given to call Him Abba, Father? In opportunity to serve and represent Him accurately and faithfully before others. In a ministry of helping others draw near to Him. These are the privileges we have. We have different roles, but we're the same. My role is just different than yours. It's not better. It's just different. You have a ministry of helping others draw near to Him and worship. Question. How closely do our walks reflect God? Chapter 8, about the Old Testament priests. They were to live a set-apart life. Chapter 9, they were to help people draw near to God and worship. Chapter 10, they were to model how to respond well to God's discipline. Some questions as we conclude our time together. Did I lead a set-apart life today? Did my conduct match the privilege of my calling? Did I help someone draw closer to God today? Maybe did I bear a brother's sin issue alongside him in prayer? Did I help a brother, of course, or sister, take his next step of surrender? Did I try to redeem a situation or restore a relationship? Did I help someone draw closer to God today? Did I respond well to God's discipline today, as I believe Aaron did? Did I accept it, or did I complain about it? And did I grow in my reverence for God's holiness through it? Or did I live my way today, believing God should be happy with it and accept it, as did Nadab and Abihu? Some days you won't get to all three of these, but would you be willing? Would you ask God for opportunities, perhaps, for even one of the three? 
The bottom line is holiness. Is 2023 the year for each of us to get serious about becoming more holy? To just stop going through the motions and to sanctify, set apart the Lord as God in our hearts and in the power of the Holy Spirit, strive in His energy to live up to and live out our privileged calling. Those closest to the Lord, us, should most clearly reflect the Lord every day to others. For next time, read Leviticus 11 through 16. Let me pray for us. Father, Your Word is truth. It's also uh, so convicting. Uh, Thank You for it. Uh, Would Your Spirit continue to work in us progressively? Uh, I am sure today I took uh, one step forward and two steps backward. Thank You for Your Spirit who continues to persevere and endure with me to to work in me, to will and to do according to your good pleasure as you have promised he would. I pray that for all of my brothers and sisters. Uh, I don't want us to be defeated. I don't want us to leave here beating ourselves up. I want us to leave here saying, thank you, Father, uh, for such a great plan. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, sacrificing yourself and making the way possible And thank you, Holy Spirit, for continuing to work in us without fail, uh, always showing us your unfailing love. Help us to grow. Help us to progressively become more set apart, first in our hearts, second in our attitudes, third in our behaviors, please. We ask you to do that in your own good way in each one of us. And we ask for it this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.